the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God rejects all that these things that people say and they try to add to because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. We're going to be in John chapter 6, and I entitled this message a better plan. Have you ever set out with a plan and right before your very eyes, your plan came apart at the seams? In fact, if you didn't have any plan at all, it's quite possible that everything would have turned out better than it did. Here are the top three reasons why plans may not work. Number one, maybe our plan isn't that great of a plan in the first place. Hey, someone's got to say it. You know, it's like your plan stinks. Okay, it's not a good plan. Okay, number two, circumstances along with other things that are out of control can change our plans at any moment. And then, of course, there's number three. Number three is maybe, just maybe, God has a completely different plan than our plan. And his plans should always supersede our plans. That's what we're going to focus on here today. As we continue in our study through the Gospel of John, as you remember in our last study in chapter 5, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews. Now again, there were three feasts that the Jews celebrated. Number one was the Passover feast, also known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that would happen roughly in March, April. And then then number two was the Feast of Weeks, also known as the Feast of Harvest, Feast of First Fruits, even the Feast of Pentecost. And that would happen seven weeks later. Then number three, the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Ingathering. This was the final thanks given for the harvest. Now, here in chapter 6, we find Jesus north of Jerusalem on the Sea of Galilee. And according to verse 4, they were getting close to the Passover. Now, this means that there was a big time gap between chapters 5 and chapter 6, maybe as much as 10 months or so. So where did all of that time go? Well, they were busy, obviously. Jesus didn't waste one day of his predetermined time here on planet Earth. Think about that for a second. Shouldn't we have the same attitude? Shouldn't we have the same mentality? For all of us have a shelf life, meaning we only have so many days to live. I mean, shouldn't we make the most of our days? I mean, could we be better stewards as we ask ourselves of our time and of our lives? Consider this sobering thought by Curry R. Blake. He said this quote, 
If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. I mean, if it's not touching someone else, has it really touched you? See, God has a desire to use us. And Jesus, see, he set the example because he never wasted his time. Yet here we have 10 months in the gospel of John between chapter five and chapter six that's totally, absolutely unaccounted for. But let's not forget the gospels only share with us a very small portion of what Jesus actually accomplished this side of heaven. Understand, every single day with Jesus, it must have been unbelievably just amazing. Imagine that. There were so many times that Jesus would enter a town or a village, and the Bible would just simply say he went in, and it says something like what it says in Matthew eight sixteen, where it says, And when evening came, they brought to him those who were demon-possessed, and he cast out all the spirits, and with the word he healed all of those who were ill. He healed all of those who were ill. Are you serious? I mean, like every single one of those people had a story. I mean, there was miracles. People were, they were touched. Their lives were changed. And it's like every single person, I mean, imagine that. I mean, it's like the sick, the lame, the blind, they were all healed. Everyone had an entire chapter to share. Remember when we were in chapter five? Oh, it's like it was all about the man who did what? He was at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus came up to him and said, do you wish to be well? He's like, no, look, I'm sitting there for 38 years lame. No, I don't want to be well. Of course I want to be healed. But as we studied, not everyone wishes to be well. You know, do you wish to be well enough to change from the lifestyle that you're in? Do you wish to be well enough to change your attitude? Do you wish to have a better marriage? Are you willing to cut back on what you do and just at times? It's like, see, it's like, You say you want to be well, but do you really wish to be well because you're not changing the circumstances of what you're doing that's causing more problems? See, Jesus came and everyone had a story. So when he goes into a village and heals everyone, every one of those people had a chapter that got missed out on. Everyone had their story. Like, this is where I came from. This is what happened. This is where I was. All of these things. Yes, if everything was recorded that has been written down, the Bible says that there would be so many things that you couldn't even record them all. So like when we get to the end of John, we'll look at this more extensively, but this is what it says in John 21, 25. He says, there are many other things which Jesus did, which if they were all written in detail, I suppose even the world itself would not contain the books written in it. So the apostle John's just like, man, if we took every single detail, oh my goodness, because these guys couldn't remember everything. Oh, do you remember that guy that got healed? Which guy? (laughs) It's like, which one of the thousands that got healed? What are you talking about? There was just too many, there'd be too many numerous books recording all of these life stories. But know this, in the midst of everything that Jesus did, recorded or not recorded, his message never change. Jesus never changes. Now, some have tried to take this type of a scripture like that that says, oh, well, he did all of these things, but nothing's recorded about it. They've tried to read more into that verse by introducing strange and bizarre doctrine, saying things like, well, Jesus taught new things in those times that were not recorded. And that's just absolutely wrong. 
Consider organizations, and I do call them organizations, like the Mormon church. They say Jesus came and he appeared again here in America, kind of a, in upstate New York after he left Israel, preaching the gospel to those who they call, the Mormon church calls, the Nephites, which is simply not true. Jesus talking about those in the last days that would say that, oh, Jesus appeared over here and did this, or Jesus appeared over there. Jesus said this in the Olivet Discourse, talking about the things that people would say in the end days. In Matthew 24, 26, he says, so if they say to you, behold, he, Jesus, is in the wilderness, do not go out there. It's not me. Or if they say, behold, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe them. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So he says, oh no, don't believe anyone and say, oh, Jesus was over here, or he spoke some hidden things over here. Uh, No, it says in Revelation 19, when Jesus comes, that the entire sky will split apart. It just just rip open, and then Jesus will come through. His eyes will be a flame of fire. His robe will be dipped in blood with on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords, and a, a sword will come out of his mouth in judgment, and then people will try to war against him, and he will wipe everyone out, and that's what happens at the second coming. But until then, we have his word and his word does not change. Yes, the word of God rejects all of these things that people say and they try to add to because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. God does not contradict what he has already said or written in the past, meaning The method, the principles, and the thought processes that God has, they don't change. And what God has recorded in his word will never change. That's why the apostle Paul was able to say in Galatians 1.8, he says, you know, though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we preached, let them be accursed. And in case you didn't get that, he says, and he repeats himself in verse 9 of Galatians 1. He says, though if we are an angel from heaven, isn't that something? How'd they get the Book of Mormon again? Oh, that's right. The angel Moroni came, and he gave these glasses to Joseph Smith, and he was able to look through the glasses, and he was able to translate Egyptian tablets into what we have as the Book of Mormon. Like, who believes this stuff? Did he have a giant box of Cracker Jacks too? I mean, are you serious? That this is why the apostle Paul said, even if an angel comes down. So maybe Joseph Smith, maybe he had late night pepperoni pizza. I don't know. Maybe he did see an angel. But all I'm saying is the angel that he saw was not from God. And let's not forget 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 14. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, so, hey, maybe you did see an angel, but you have to test the spirits, it says in First John, test the spirits to see where they are from God because there's many false prophets who come into the world. Many false prophets. Yes, the method, the stuff, the process that God uses, that never changes. We should remind ourselves often how God chose to end his word, the Bible. The collection of 66 individual books that were written by 40 different authors, all of whom were inspired or God breathed by God himself. They all came from varying backgrounds, uh, these 40 different authors, from priests to prophets, all the way to farmers, tax collectors, and fishermen. Yet God chose to end the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. In the last chapter, chapter 22, in the last few verses, 
What did he say with this exhortation? He says this in Revelation twenty-two eighteen. He says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to them the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take his part away from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. Wow, that's crazy. But is it not straightforward? I mean, how do you misread that? I mean, don't add to God's word. Don't take away from it either. It's like if you add to it, the plagues that are written in this book will be added to your life. If you take away from God's word, your name will be taken away from the book of life. It's like, what are people thinking when they take and rewrite the Bible like Jehovah's Witnesses and they add and they, and they take away and, then they, and they do all these things? It's like, what are you thinking? It's like God has told you, don't do that. Don't mess with his word. Well, again, it's pretty straightforward. And with that, based on our title, A Better Plan, let's pick up and read here, starting in John chapter six, we'll start in verse one. It says, now, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the sea of Galilee, or Tiberias, and a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And Jesus went up into the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover and the feast of the Jews was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a great multitude was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And this he was saying to test them, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them for everyone to receive a little. And one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in that place. And so the men sat down in number of about 5,000, just men alone. And Jesus, therefore, took also of the fish as much as they wanted. And they were filled, he said. And he said to his disciples, gather up all the leftover fragments and that nothing may be lost. And so they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And when, therefore, the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Meaning, my goodness, this is the Messiah. It has to be. So here we have this great multitude, it says in verse two, and they are all living witnesses as Jesus touched them, he healed them, he delivered them, he set them free. All of these people. This is why Jesus was so popular and well-known. He was a walking 911 emergency room slash psychiatric ward. He touched, he healed everyone in sight. He healed them physically. He healed them emotionally. He healed them from being hurt and abused, from the forsaken and the forgotten. He reached out to them. That's why. When people heard that Jesus was in town, my goodness, it was big news. I mean, big news, bigger than any 
mainstream artist band that's coming in on concerts or hey, U2's playing. Who cares? Jesus is here. And although Jesus was God in the flesh, he subjected himself to the limitations of his own humanity along with his 12 disciples. Meaning, he would get tired, he would get hungry. If I was Jesus, you know, I would just say like, hey listen guys, this isn't here yet, but you know, here's a Compos burrito, okay? It's the macho burrito, this thing's bigger than a cinder block. See, I would do things like that, but Jesus didn't. He got tired, he stubbed his toe, he got hungry, because from morning until night, there was an endless line of people needing his merciful touch. And we're given an account of Jesus' life in all four Gospels, as you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, while he was here on earth. Now, Matthew and Mark, when they recorded the life of Jesus, they recorded it from what they saw with their own eyes as they walked with him his entire ministry. Now, Mark and Luke, they record from extensive interviews from eyewitnesses that were there and saw the actual events. Yet each gospel records Jesus' life from a different perspective. Now, Matthew, as you know, was a tax collector, but he was probably a very educated man. He worked up with the Romans and started taxing his own people while he was working for the Romans. He was working the system at both ends. He was a very intelligent man. And so when he records, after he came to know Christ as his savior, his Messiah, when he records his gospel, he's recording it from a mindset speaking from a Jew to another Jew. So when he records, he's talking about the promised Messiah to the Israelite, the king of Israel. So Mark, when he records Jesus, he records him kind of with a perspective of God's perfect and faithful servant. Now Luke, he was a Gentile. He was a physician. He was a doctor, a very educated man. So you'll find a lot more detail in Luke's gospel than the others just because he was a detail-oriented man. But again, he was a Gentile. So as you had Matthew, that he's kind of more speaking to the Jewish mind frame, you have Luke, he's a Gentile, and he's kind of speaking more to Gentiles. And then, of course, there's John. John presents Jesus as the God-man, that he is fully man, yet fully God at the same time. Now, within these four gospels, we see many miracles represented. Some will be in this one, some will be in that one, there's other ones in that one, and each will have favored on different, you know, miracles that they represent. But there's only one miracle, imagine this if you don't know this, there's only one miracle that Jesus did that is in actually all four gospels. And that's the one that we're looking at here in John chapter six. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Now with that in mind, I would like you to point out a few more details here because these details are important. So in Mark's gospel, he gives us what was happening before the miracle happened. And so John doesn't give us that. He just, gives, he just jumps right into the miracle But Mark, he's like, this is what was going on right before the miracle happened. Let me read it to you here. And it opens up a little bit more of an idea of what the whole big picture was here. So Mark 6.31 says, Jesus said to the disciples, come away by yourselves. Let's get away, guys. Just you and me. Let's go to a lonely place and let's rest for a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. 
And they went away in the boat to a lonely place by themselves. And the people saw them. Oh no, they've been spotted. And many recognized them. And they ran there together on foot from all the cities. And they got there ahead of them as their boat was landing. And when he went ashore, Jesus saw the great multitude. And he felt compassion for them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and began saying, the place here is desolate and it's already quite late. Send them away. Get rid of these people. Okay. Get rid of them so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy for themselves something to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. Ah, the plot thickens here. See, these are significant details. The disciples were supposed to be taking a break. Their little vacation time. You know, to take advantage of some well-deserved R&R. Jesus said to them, come, let's take a break. We'll go to a lonely place, just you and me, where nobody can find us. We'll catch up on some much-needed rest. I'm sure the disciples were up for that. Don't you like to have those kind of days? Yet it didn't work out that way. Don't you hate when that happens? When it doesn't work out that way? Oh, I got a day off today. Oh, it's a beautiful day. But again, these disciples, I mean, they were just, they wanted to have that break. But again, it didn't work out. Mark tells us that they were spotted again. Can you imagine? Oh, just like it would be here today. If Jesus was here today in Los Angeles, you'd be like, oh, Pastor Steve, we love you, but not that much. Boom, you'd be gone, okay? But of course, I'd be leading the pack. Like, let's go see Jesus. I'd like to listen to him more than I'd like to listen to me. And it's the same in this day. We would go find him. I mean, how many have a desire to be touched in your life by a miracle or something? Yes, when Jesus was seen Word spread like wildfire, and the people flocked to him. Well, the disciples were not excited about this at all. Okay, why again? Because they're burned out. They needed a break. Even as Mark pointed out, they didn't even have time to eat. There were so many people. It's not that they didn't care. They just needed a time to recharge their batteries. They were overwhelmed. Yet Mark 6.34 said, Jesus felt compassion on the crowds. He got out and they were all there. And he felt compassion on them. That word compassion means he he had tender mercy for these people. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were lost. They were needy. And Jesus just simply could not say no to them. But these disciples, yeah, they were like, get rid of these people. But Jesus couldn't do it. He was having tender mercy on these people. He feels the same about us. He says, come unto me, all you that are heavy laden and burdened down, and I will give you rest. And to this day, you know, Jesus will continue to give us rest if we seek after him. But again, now the disciples, they were just like you and me. They didn't always look at people with a heart of compassion. Oh, yes. I mean, there's times that we do, right? Oh, let me help you. Let me this. And there's other times like, I don't see you, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever. But that's what they were like. They were just like us. But here, Jesus wasn't going to have it. And all the disciples saw here was a sea of people maybe 10 or 15,000, maybe more, because the Bible says it was 5,000 men. 
I mean, it's like, hey, if you're going to see Jesus, but your wife's going to say, I want to go see Jesus. You're not going by yourself. I mean, the wife's there too. And I mean, they didn't have birth control back there. They might have 10 kids. Okay, what are you going to do? Just leave the kids at home alone? Well, come on, we're going to see Jesus. The whole horde came. I mean, who knows? There could be 10,000, 15,000, 20,000 people. Who knows? All the disciples, all they saw was nothing but more work. They weren't seeing the needs. So the disciples, they had a plan. Okay, they come up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Boss, boss, it's okay. It's getting really late. Why don't you send the dear little sheep away? Okay, send them away so they can go back into the villages before dark and they can find shelter and get their little tummies filled. And and what they're really saying was this. Look, we're tired and hungry. This must be our vacation, boss. Remember you told us, you know, we were looking forward to a quiet dinner alone. We were gonna relax with you. We are totally cooked. We're on toasted here. But in Jesus' eyes, their plan was not the best plan. Their plan was based on their own desires, looking out for their own best interests. Their plan didn't have any room for anybody else. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.